Hey guys, we are here with the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. You know, love was shown to me through rape and uh, unwanted sex, which I know is rape, but mm-hmm. you know, when you don't, abs- you don't actually coin it rape in your mind because they love you, but you didn't really want the sex so it's unwanted but in, at the end of the day it's rape right at 16 year old at 16 years old i was forced into marriage oh. because i was a problem in the church i was still a virgin at this time outside of being raped when i was 13 but i was a problem because men looked at me as something to be desired and this was an issue for the church This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dixie, and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And I'm Zona. I'm a writer, speaker, person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness, and tiny house enthusiast, and a serial foodie. This podcast is brought to you by the generous donations of the supporters of bringfreedom.org. Through your support, Through our Venmo at Bring Freedom, we are able to support the persons with lived experience who are brave enough to share their stories here and avoid re-traumatization by them having to give away their story or their services for free while still maintaining these types of trainings as well as the all for one challenge that we have coming up on November 18th and 19th at no cost to you in order to completely end human trafficking in your community. If you would like to be one of the supporters of bringfreedom.org, you can visit our website or you can make a tax deductible donation to our Venmo at Bring Freedom. Thank you. With us today is Tiffany Parker. She's a first responder and author with over a decade of experience in public service and emergency management. She's earned a dual master's degree in emergency management and homeland security, focusing her attention on counterterrorism. Currently, Tiffany is working toward her doctor of philosophy in criminal justice and homeland security so that she can bring her knowledge of human trafficking to the world. She served as both a structural and wildland firefighter, as well as an emergency manager for the largest hospital system police department in Texas. However, Tiffany left her role as a firefighter to work in anti-human trafficking and train first responders on how to recognize and respond to human trafficking. Welcome, Tiffany. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. We are so glad that you're here. 
That's awesome. Well, we were hoping that we could hear a little bit more about your story. So um, we'll actually start with before I was born, because it is really important to my story to understand where I come from. I talk a lot about my mom when I tell my story and it paints my mom in a bad light. If you don't understand where she is coming from, we'll start there. Uh, My mom was a single mom as a very, very small child. uh, She was raped over and Mm -hmm. over by classmates, by my grandmother's boyfriends, and it created a lot of trauma in her life. Mm -hmm. Uh, By 12 years old, she was a middle school dropout and had run away and fell into the arms of a drug dealer who was dealing drugs internationally and was a big proponent of pain as a a method of control. Mm. So for my mom, she was based, she was judged on whether she was a good girl or a bad girl, very much like a dog. Mm. If she was a good girl, she got drugs. She got a pillow to sleep on and food in her belly. If she was a bad girl, people would be murdered in front of her to show her what happens to bad girls. She wouldn't get the drugs that she had been addicted to. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to get the basic needs. So eventually she was able to get out of this relationship and fell into the hands of traffickers. Mm-hmm. As we do with people with trauma, you know, we, we gear towards people that are of our same mental state. And so here she, he, she and her friend fall in the arms of these traffickers and throughout their trafficking story, eventually it comes down to, we are going to let one person go. These, these traffickers were um, long haul truck drivers. So we are going to let one of you guys go. One of you will live. One of you will die is basically what they were telling them. And my mom had the luck or unluck, you know, depending on which side you're looking at it from of being the one that got to survive. So she Mm -hmm. left that and never saw her friend again. Oh goodness. Yeah, so she she moved through a series of relationships. Uh, By the time she was 17, she had had two kids, uh, my two older brothers. One of them died from SIDS and was resuscitated, but ended up being uh, mentally retarded because of this and had the mentality and personality of a six-month-old. Oh. Yes, the same brother was murdered when I was 19. uh, I'm sorry, he was 19, I was 15. So you kind of see the series of trauma in my mom's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So remember all of that as I tell you my story. Um, I was born to my mom when she was 20 years old. Uh, she was a single parent. I was a product of a relationship with a man that she thought she knew. And it turned out that he was on the run from the police from another state he had given her a fake name in reality he was happily married to a woman with many kids in this other state and so he was living a facade and when my mom found out she left him and it was just my mom and I at some point during this time they were still uh, she was still heavily hooked on drugs you know still heavily drinking Um, some point during these very early years of mine while my mom was a single mom um still hooked on drugs she would drop me off at her drug dealer's house every night so that they could go to the bars it was during these early years that i um, started portraying signs of molestation Mm -hmm. now because i was you know one two three years old there was no recollection i wasn't communicative i don't have memories of this so 
this is good, but this is also probably what started my trauma journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was five years old, my mom and I, she finally got clean and uh, we moved from the greater metropolitan area in Arizona to a smaller town where we got us a little tiny trailer the size of our car and we lived there. Uh, we eventually moved to a duplex where my older brother was able to move in. Mm-hmm. And that's when he started molesting me. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so on a daily basis, I was molested by my brother and occasionally by his friends as well. When yeah. I was about 10 years old, as 10 year olds do when they get mad at their older brothers, I told my mom what had happened. And instead of the loving response that I would think I would get where my brother would get in trouble and I would get the you know back pad and you did a good thing, I got in trouble. Yeah. Yes. And that was her trauma. And her response to it made me not talk about my trauma again for another 20 years until I wrote my book uh, two years ago. Mm -hmm. But when my mom and I sat down and we talked about it, so, you know, I told her, hey, I wrote this book. I published this book. Before you read this book, I need you to know I talk about my trauma in it. And, you know, here's the first story. Do you remember this? And she'll tell you, you know, for her. Her anger was not aimed at me. Mm-hmm. Her anger was aimed at not being able to protect me. Mm-hmm. Anger at my brother for traumatizing his sister, for hurting his sister, but never once at me. However, as a 10-year-old, her behavior was, she's mad at me. Mm-hmm. That The night I had told her, you know, laying in bed, I had my blankets tucked up over my, you know, upright up under my chin and she came and she pulled the blankets off and asked me if I was masturbating a word I didn't know at the time. And, you know, later learned, but that was my introduction to what happens if you tell people that you, you know, something has happened to you. Mm -hmm. So for the next 20 years, if something happened to me, I kept my mouth shut. There was no, you know, I, it was, if I tell people I'm just going to get in trouble like that one time when I was 10. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, fast forward to 13, I was ended up getting raped by a 27 year old Navy SEAL. Oh, and mm-hmm. this gentleman as a Navy SEAL, his hands are considered deadly weapons because of the training they go through. So imagine a 27 year old Navy SEAL with hands that are considered deadly weapons against a 13 year old. I didn't stand a chance. No, no. Yes, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't want to get in trouble, but I did mention it to a friend who then went and told a teacher, who told the principal, who called the cops, who called my mom, and it became a big thing. So we went to the gentleman that did this. His dad was a pastor in our church. So we went to the head pastor and we told him what had happened. And the pastor turned to me and said, that poor man, you are a temptress. You tempt men into doing carnal things. You are the problem. Oh, man. So what, my, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So imagine now this is my second time I've told somebody my trauma. And the second time I was told I was the problem. Blamed right. for it. And that really, it, it created something in me where it said, you're the problem. People don't love you. You know, they sh- the people that do love you are the ones that are hurting you. Right. And there was, you know, you just kind of lose all of that respect for yourself, for other people. 
Mm-hmm. And after that, for the next, oh, I don't know, 15 years, love was shown to me through abuse. You know, love was shown to me through rape and uh, unwanted sex, which I know is rape, but mm-hmm. you know, th- when you don't, abs- you don't actually coin it rape in your mind because they love you, but it- you didn't really want the sex, so it's unwanted. But in- at the end of the day, it's rape. Right. At sixteen year old, at sixteen years old, I was forced into marriage oh. because I was a problem in the church. I was still a virgin at this time, outside of being raped when I was thirteen. But I was a problem because men looked at me as something to be desired. And this was an issue for the church. The four months after my 16th birthday, I was married off to a man that was 22 years old in hopes that he could contain this issue, which was my beauty or, you know, men's attraction to me. Whatever it was that they thought that marriage would do for me, I got married. And ladies, let me tell you, I really did try to be a good wife. Mm -hmm. I really did. I had two kids. Like, I still, you know, walked 10 steps behind them like I was supposed to. I sat down and shut up like I was supposed to. I cooked and cleaned. I did everything that a wife is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But I was a 16-year-old child with years of trauma, married to a man who now as an adult, I can look back and say, also had years of trauma his mom had tried to drown her brother or his brother her son you know his sisters raised him so Mm -hmm. I'm now married to a man who also has trauma Mm -hmm. and it was a very abusive relationship sure in both ways not just him but when I went to the pastor and I said my husband hits me he picks me up and he throws me across the room the same pastor that told me that I was Attemptress, and I was the problem. He laughed and told me, "That's what marriage is." Oh, oh, yes. I'm 19 years old, and he says it is God's place to discipline man. Man's place to discipline his wife and his children. Mm. Your husband is disciplining you as he sees fit. In my mind, I think you know the reason he was probably laughing was like getting joy of this somebody's finally taming this this temptress of a girl you know he's finally gonna beat it out of her he's probably proud of my ex-husband sick bring freedom's live anti-trafficking inspiration event is coming up on november 18th and 19th sign up for the all for one challenge today you don't want to miss this Yeah. So I left him and I went to my parents Mm -hmm. and I told them what happened. And my stepdad told me, well, you better not make him mad. He could probably kill you. He's so big. And he said, they sent me back home to my husband. Wow. So shortly before my second son turned one years old, I'm in the middle of the night. I put what possessions I could in my car and I left Mm-hmm. And I, I chose homelessness and being disowned by everything and anything I'd ever known. My family, you know, my church, everything. I chose all of that in an attempt to get away from what they had created 
you know, the husband that they had pushed on me, the ideals that they had pushed on me. So I chose homelessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're homeless, you have really one choice when it comes to meeting your basic needs as a woman. And right. that is your body. Mm-hmm. And my, be- my body became something to bargain with. Mm-hmm. If having sex with somebody meant I got to sleep on their laundry room floor, then sex is what they got. And a laundry mm-hmm. room floor is what I got, which was better in my opinion than the streets. Yeah, sure. So my body became a bargaining chip and it also became something to be abused by people because there was nobody to protect me. I had no family resources. I had no community behind me. So as I was abused over and over and over again, there was nothing that anybody could, in my opinion, could do. And there's nothing I could do because at least these people were meeting my basic necessities. By this point, my mom had told me, you know, leave my son and my grandchildren alone. None of us want anything to do with you. The church had completely disowned me. My friends that I'd known since the day I was born were gone. There was nobody to turn to. The only other person I could turn to was a girl that was homeless with me, that we would take turns sleeping with these people so the other person would have, you know, one of us would get a comfy bed that night, the other person would get the laundry room floor or the couch or the hallway floor but at least one of us you know would get a comfy bed but we'd both get a nice place to sleep that night yes (coughs) excuse me so this is what her and I did for about a year and uh I think really for me my breaking point my turning point was when my cousin my cousin was my same age we grew up together we fell into the same crowds her and I she got into the drug side of things I got into the sex side of things mm-hmm. and one of the issues that my cousin had with me is every time that she would like a guy the guy would like me oh. so we were headed to a party one night and my cousin made a deal with a guy that he could drug me and then he could take me home and that would get me away from her and her opportunity to meet some guys And that is exactly what this guy did. And I have intermittent memories of waking up with him pushing drugs in my mouth or pushing mushrooms in my mouth and, you know, telling me to chew or, you know, waking up with the pressure of him on me. I don't know how many times we had sex over however many days it was, but eventually I came to and I realized I'm going to die. This is going to kill me. Somebody's going to kill me and they're going to find my body and, you know, in a ditch somewhere. And I have two little boys at home. Mm-hmm. Right. So I Maybe. packed up all my possessions in my car. I found me a job in an ice cream shop and I slept in my car and I saved every penny I could while I worked my way to make the money to be able to become an EMT. Wow. And I slept on a guy's living up. Uh, Uh, He had like a spare bedroom. I got to sleep on the floor while I did my EMT program. Mm -hmm. And eventually I became an EMT, was able to uh, travel, which got me more money that I could save up and became a firefighter and eventually made up enough money that I could rent me an apartment for my two boys and I. Oh, wow. And slowly but surely throughout that time, You know, I ended up getting, well, I went through the fire academy. I got uh, two associate's degrees. 
after those two associate's degrees, I was able to get a bachelor's degree. When I got my bachelor's degree, I got a job offer in Texas. And I slowly began to to unbury myself from this hole that I have had buried. My mom and I began to have a relationship again. She started to realize that all of the rumors that had been told about me, the things that the church had said about me were not true. She yeah. ended up leaving the church. Uh, my husband and I fought for custody every three to six months for five years. Mm. <clears throat> until a judge told him, if I ever see you in my courthouse again, I'm going to arrest you. Wow. And I was left with full custody of my two boys. Praise God. That yes. Because those two boys, I, I'll tell you, you know, in a different life, I never had kids. I went and became a doctor like I always wanted to be. And I, you know, I live in a little apartment above a, a strip mall where I work, you know, eight, 80 hours a week with no kids, no husband. And I, I, you know, go down to the strip mall to get a drink or dinner every night before I go to bed. And that would, that's my life in an alternate life. Mm-hmm. But in this life, God knew the only thing that's going to save her are kids, are, yeah. her two, are her two boys. Yeah. And they did. Now, they didn't save my mental health. And my my youngest son, he's uh, 14 now. He is a genius. Uh-huh. So he has his own issues with touch and, mm-hmm. you know, common sense and, and the normal things that you and I as not geniuses take for granted. Sure. Right. So my boys saved me from a life of being raped and murdered or becoming a stripper, or any of the things that could have happened. They did save me from that, but they were children, and they couldn't save me from my mental illnesses. Right. So fast forward to 2016, and I met a firefighter as a firefighter myself. We mm-hmm. were both deployed on a on an incident, and uh, I asked him if he was a typical firefighter. And if anybody knows firefighters, they know that firefighters tend to be whores. You know, they're the number <laughs> oh. one. <laughs> yeah. Or the number one profession that cheats on your spouse. Oh, yeah. Because okay. you look at a firefighter and, you know, firefighters are heroes. That's yeah. what everybody looks at a firefighter as. And we, I mean, not to toot a firefighter's horn, but that's what we are. You know, we go and we save babies and we sign pictures and we wear cool outfits. And it opens the door for you to think that the grass is greener. So I started sleeping with this firefighter and it was perfect because we had the understanding he was married that he would never leave his wife and I was only in it for the sex Mm. and it was perfect. What I didn't know was God was working heavily on both of us in our sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, This gentleman was not happy in his marriage. He and his wife had met and got married within three months so from hello, it's nice to meet you. My name is blank to let's get married in three months. <clears throat> and they immediately found out that they were not compatible. They had four kids, lived two separate lives, were not intimate, you know, shared nothing with one another and had the agreement that when the kids graduated high school, when the last two graduated high school, they would get a divorce. Until then, they would live in their misery because this is the life that they had chosen. Mm-hmm. And they were Christians. So when he met me, it was his way of finally feeling that physical or emotional intimacy that he was missing. And for me, it was just sex. Right. 
until stupid over here changed (laughs) his mind on on it just being (laughs) sex and fell in love I'm not sure what he fell in love with because here's a broken girl with walls as high as can be guys would tell me you know I would I would go to hit on you but you looked like you would probably kill me if I tried to hit on you my walls (laughs) were so high that they are impenetrable even my kids couldn't break my walls right Mm -hmm. and this guy started telling me every day god and i love you and in response i tell him f you (laughs) (laughs) and every day god and i love you and my response f you and your god until that those two words or god and i love you those five words would slowly start to break down that wall unbeknownst to me Mm -hmm. this guy and I got pregnant and I moved to Texas shockingly enough uh, just down the road from him Hmm. I assure you ladies I promise you I don't know who applied for this this job in Texas but I know I didn't do it right I've told them show me the application I know I didn't put this application in Out of 277 people who applied for this position, I got it. Wow. Little girl from nowhere, Arizona, with nothing to offer, I got this highly coveted position in one of the biggest cities in the country. Yeah. Just so happens to be right down the road from this man that continues to tell me, God and I love you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my pregnant self packs my bags and I moved to Texas. My boys um, were going to come at the end of the, you know, at, during the summer. So they didn't miss any school. So it was just me. And this guy had decided he was going to try to work things out with his wife. He had found a, a love with me that he was going to try to see if he could find with her. Mm. So here I am in Texas, pregnant as can be alone as can be with the devil, just hounding on me of look where you've gotten yourself. Once again, you're not loved. You know, here you are again, alone in the world. And I post a thing on, on next door and looking for a babysitter for the school year. And this lady goes, I can't babysit for you, but I'd love to invite you to church. Hmm. And I was like, well, that's about the most useless comment I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. You and your stupid Christianity can go kick rocks. Well, the next Sunday I find myself basically suicidal. I, I didn't want to wake up. I was miserable. I wanted out of this life. And I remembered this woman's post about, I can't babysit for you, but you can come to church. So I did. I don't know what tempted me to go to church. It's pretty sure that, you know, the ground would catch on fire as soon as I stepped through the threshold. But in all my nine months pregnant and tattooed glory, I walked into church and everybody stopped what they were doing and they turned and they stared at me. And I knew immediately that I'd made a mistake. That just like every other Christian, just like every other church, these people had seen this girl without a wedding ring on with a big old belly and tattoos all over. And they were about to come say something. And sure enough, here comes a girl beelining for me. And she grabs my arm before I can turn around. She looks at my tattoos and she goes, oh, my gosh, I love your tattoos. They're so cute. And I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) She is. I have one right here and oh, you know, in their little cute Southern drawl. And she liked my tattoos. She wasn't there to tell me that I was a sinner for having tattoos or how I needed to cover them in her church or 
she just wanted to tell me about her tattoos too and wanted to know where I got mine. And that was the beginning of my relationship with God. Oh, that's awesome. That is really good. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm glad we're not on. T- <laughs> on t- <laughs> you can't see me crying, but God used a very, very broken woman. Mm-hmm. And I was 27 at this time and I had nothing. Yeah. Nothing to offer anybody or anything. Mm-hmm. And yet. God reached into the life of a broken girl and he, he pulled out redemption and love and grace. That stupid man who uh, fell in love with a girl with nothing, his marriage didn't end up working out because of his PTSD and his adultery and their lack of a relationship, whatever you want to call it, that didn't make the relationship worked out. Mm-hmm. And that man asked me to marry him in 2018. And in June of this year, we celebrated three years of the most beautiful marriage. Oh, we have. <laughs> and we have a beautiful daughter. And we go to a church that loves us and loves our joined family and has never judged us. My husband travels around the world teaching on mental illness and PTSD and got counseling and realized all of the things that were an issue in his life came from his trauma, his relationship with his ex-wife and the trauma that was in that ex in that marriage and his relationship with his mom. And he started getting counseling for it. And he started teaching other firefighters and law enforcement on just what the effects of mental health do to first responders. Mm-hmm. Right. The number one killer of first responders is not fires. It's not guns. It's suicide. Yeah. Because we're so broken. We're looking for that next great high. And when we aren't finding it in a fire or arresting somebody, we're looking for it in sex and drugs. And ultimately we're killing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And him and I got into marriage counseling and she taught us, a retired a police officer, believe it or not, she taught us how to love one another for the trauma that we have and how to, to meet each other on our own levels. Yeah. We have been told since the day we met that we are the same person in two different bodies. But when it comes to how we respond to things, we are two very different people (laughs) and we were able to learn how to meet each other on our own right my husband was the first person to ever hear my story literally the first person ever hear my story but also the first person ever hear any portion of my story and not judge me for it but Mm. just love me for it and and show me that i can tell my story and there are people that will love me for telling my story right yeah So his counselor was actually the one that told him with PTSD, they recommend you write down when you're having a flashback or a memory or a trigger, write down the story as it happened, not per your emotions, but just in chronological order. This is how it happened. And Mm -hmm. he did it. And it really helped him work on his trauma and healing and growth. So I thought, you know, I'm going to try that. And one day I sat down and I ended up (laughs) writing a book and it was so much, there was so much in there and so much growth in there that 
I decided to publish that book. And the people have come to me after publishing my book. It's called Whispered Like Wildfire. You can Mm -hmm. buy it on Amazon. The people that have come to me afterwards and said, your book helped my marriage. Your book helped me do this or that. It got me out of this situation. And I'm like, my book did that? I mean, it's just a story of a broken girl. But what it is is a story of redemption and healing and God doing something in somebody that you would never think God could do something in. Right. I work with other trafficking survivors now and they'll tell me, you know, I wish I was like you. I wish my life was like yours. And I'm like, girlfriend, let's read my book. Wow. Read my book <laughs> yeah. and then let's talk. And they'll come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, you are me. Like mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, I'm still in your chapter seven, but one day I'm going to be in chapter 17. And I'm like, yeah, you are. Like, don't, don't stay stuck in chapter seven. Don't stay stuck in chapter two. Remember that you've got a chapter three and a chapter 10 and a chapter 15. And one day you're going to be at chapter 17 and it's not going to be, I mean, it's chapter 17 is not the end of the book and I'm still on Mm -hmm. chapter 17, but you know, one day I'm going to get to the end of my book and it's a beautiful ending. Excuse me. So um, now I go all over the world and I teach first responders how to recognize survivors of human trafficking I came into contact with so many firefighters and law enforcement in my time while I was being trafficked in my time that I was you know being sexually abused Mm -hmm. and they missed the signs I don't have any blame toward any firefighter or law enforcement that missed the signs because they were never educated on it right I became a, a firefighter with trauma And I still would miss the signs. I would know something was happening and I could connect with those girls by saying, Hey, I know something's going on. And let me tell you a little bit about my story. You know, I'm a, I was sex, a sex, the sexual abuse survivor. And I've fallen into human trafficking and, you know, I understand, but I couldn't, I didn't know how to get them out of what they were experiencing. Right. Yes. So I started going to school for that. And now I'm, as somebody who travels the world and educates and speaks at conferences, I've chosen to get my PhD. So when I tell you I'm a subject matter expert, I can have the PhD to prove it. Sure. But being able to share my story with people and with, as somebody who's truly lived it and be able to talk to to girls or guys who are currently going through it Mm -hmm. and firefighters or, or law enforcement who are in the thrones of it every day and see these trafficked women and men every single day and can teach them how to appropriately address somebody with trauma and how to help them get to the next chapter in their lives has been the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life and the most fulfilled I've ever been. But it didn't happen because I had this great life and parents that loved me. It happened because of the trauma that I experienced Right. Yeah. And the the mentality that there's got to be something better than this. I've got to do something for my kids. You know, I can't I can't die in this this hole. I can't die in this gutter. I can't die in this room. There's got to be something more. And using my trauma to take one baby step at a time to be a better person and to overcome the things that were being thrown at me, literally from every direction, from everything from your pastor to law enforcement to the people that are supposed to love you the most to strangers and I'm being told in every direction you're never 
excuse me, going to amount to anything and me saying, I got to amount to something because I've got kids or I've got a future or I'm only 20 years old. And for the next, you know, 80 years, I can't handle using my body as a means to get gas. Like there's got to be something more. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now when I, I talk to my girl, to girls, I tell them, you know, that's all you got. It's not a huge step between me and you. It's just lots and lots of baby steps. It's literally picking up your head off the pillow some days and going, I'm going to do this when all you want to do is lay in a, you know, a cold room with the door shut and cry. Mm-hmm. So that's my story <laughs> in a nutshell. True. Well, how do people connect to, sorry, what were you going to say, Dixie? I just said it was powerful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for letting me. I, I really appreciate it. <clears throat> and it, it is crazy because I do relate to quite a bit of your story. <laughs> um, personally, from my own experience. Um, I'm curious, though, you mentioned your book. Uh-huh. But you mentioned it so fast. I didn't get to write down the name of it. Can you? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't send you guys the link. Um, it's called Whispered Like Wildfire. Okay. The picture on the front is actually of a, a fire tornado that I took myself working on a wildland fire. Wow. Okay. And it's it's not an easy read. Anybody that has read it will tell me I would read a couple pages and I had to put it down. I'd read a couple pages and I just have to cry or I'd read a couple pages and yeah. I'd have to go do something fun. So it's not an easy read, but when you get to the end, I really feel like you get to see redemption mm-hmm. and every story deserves a happy ending. And I got my, I'm still in the, again, I'm still in the midst of my story. Not mm-hmm. every day is sunshine and butterflies. My husband isn't always the greatest human being that ever walked the planet. Sure. <laughs> now my kids don't like always us. get straight A's. And, you know, I mean, so don't think that, like, I got out of the life and now, like, oh, my gosh, life is perfect. And, the you know, the butterflies come and sing to me. every That girl, that ain't it, even remotely. <laughs> True. But <laughs> I can say, if I look at my story, mm-hmm. chapter one is a hell of a lot different than chapter 20 hmm yeah sure. so you can you can get it on amazon or you know a lot of people reach out to me and i have copies i like to sign them for them and send it to them but mm-hmm. yeah you can you can get it on amazon and definitely leave a review if you buy one a great right. review not a not a bad review if you don't <laughs> like it send me a text if you like it leave a review <laughs> true uh, well, we'll go ahead and post that in the in the show notes because we want to make sure that we have that um, there for you guys so that as you're listening, if you're needing to add that to your reading list, you have access to it. Yeah, I, I would be doing myself an injustice if I didn't say I also posted my second or I mean posted. I also published my second book this year. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's called You Forgot to Mention. Mm-hmm. You can buy it anywhere books are sold. So bookstores or Amazon or wherever you want. Um, it is a parenting book. Because I have seven kids, I feel like, you know, I might have a thing or two to say about child rearing. Sure. <laughs> so it is all of those things that people forgot to mention when you were pregnant and breastfeeding and going through birth. And it's just a very raw, very funny. It, it's a good way to laugh about 
that crap that nobody told you about, like mucus plugs and dirty <laughs> diapers yeah. and, you know, boys <laughs> peeing all over your face. It's fantastic. So <laughs> I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't mention that one, too. Sure. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's wonderful. We're glad um, that you mentioned that. So we'll go ahead and post that one in the show notes as well, guys. Awesome. Perfect. Um, So then we are curious, how would people get in contact with you? Let's say they want you to do training. Um, They know, you know, firefighters or law enforcement agents that would need um, kind of some training. Would, are you able to do that? Absolutely. So um, my training is free. I do charge, you know, like a flight or my hotel costs. That's all I ask for is you pay for me to come out there. Otherwise, the training itself is free. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people connect with me through my LinkedIn or my Facebook. However, you can email me. Mm -hmm. Uh, My email address is my first name, Tiffany, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y dot Parker, my last name, at reclaim611.org. Okay. And you can email me there. You can, I mean, I met these beautiful ladies by uh, Instagram or what, what did it say? <laughs> um, it was LinkedIn. LinkedIn, <laughs> LinkedIn <yeah>. not Instagram. <laughs> that would be weird. Uh, through LinkedIn. Um, a lot of people watch my TikToks too, and then they reach out through me. So really any social media I'm on, you're welcome to reach out to me on or my email. Wonderful. Well, we are so glad that you were here today and we loved having you. Um, Definitely. This is really an honor. Yes. Join us for the 10th annual Dressember Style Challenge. Advocacy is better together, and we would love to have you on Team Bring Freedom. Wear a dress or tie every day during the month of December to raise awareness and funds to end human trafficking. Check the description box for more information. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy hearing stories of persons with lived experience, please rate and review wherever you're listening to this podcast.